1: Welcome to the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California brought to you by Wendy's. I am James Ham. I told you I would get you more podcasts. We got Jerry Reynolds earlier in the week. Uh, we had Doug Christie late last week. We got Ricardo Pertizzi last week to talk to us from, from Italy. Um, and today we're joined by uh, one of the voices of the Sacramento Kings, Mr. Scott Moak, the incredible PA announcer. Scott, what's going on, man?
2: Well, I'm really I mean, going from Jerry Reynolds to Doug Christie, this is what a letdown for you. I'm really I apologize I apologize. That this is that this is where you've landed, really. I mean this is you, you I mean now you're at rock bottom, so now you'll know what it's like to kind of ascend back, rise like our like our communities will do soon. Rise like the Phoenix, James Hamm, and come out of the darkness that is Scott Moak guest on a podcast.
1: You know, it's funny, uh, I've tried to get you on the podcast for years, um, and it hasn't always worked out, and uh, it, it's one of those things, uh, you know, there uh, there are many reasons, but uh, I'm excited to have you, uh, I've known you for a long time, it's been a decade, I've covered the team now, um, and I've known you for that entire time, and I don't understand why you would possibly think that people don't want to hear your voice. Uh, <laughs> well, at, they're forced at, to hear it. They're
2: forced to hear. That's the one thing. The one, one difference when you go to a game, you can't, I mean, unless you have a fantastic set of earplugs or headphones, you have to listen to me. And that is just tragic. Really? Like with with grant or with any, you could, you know, you could watch, you could watch it on mute while you're vacuuming or cooking with G man, you could uh, turn the radio down. Like with me, you are forced to hear me yell and it is just, that's not good for anybody's health.
1: You know what though? Uh... As someone who has gone to other stadiums, um, uh, a couple of my least favorite. Um, while I love the city of Portland, and and also mm. I'll say the same thing about San Antonio. I love both cities. Uh, they have their music and their PA turned up so loud, really loud, that yeah. you walk out of there feeling like you just went through a concert and you can't hear, and your brain is hurting. <laughs> um, and I think with Portland, it might be where they set media we're literally like right at uh right under it yeah you're right, right under one of us yeah at the one of the Yeah. The of the yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. it's loud so i appreciate it plus um i don't remember the last time you botched a name and i hear that all the time i mean the bogdan bogdanovich uh pronunciation uh, Nemanja namanya uh it, it's just i guess the kings have a couple of different difficult guys but Uh, I I've heard some, some absolutely brutal, um, you know, sort of renditions of their names and you you bet you never miss. When was the last time you missed?
2: I miss, I miss, I don't like
1: talking about what I miss, but I
2: I definitely miss. And I have, we look, we're all human. We get to, we get to, you know, jack things up every once in a while. I will say though, that like now when you say that, it makes me think back to the early and middle part of the two thousands when, you know, I don't have data on this in front of me. You would, you're kind of the kind of guy that would probably know this or find it quickly, but a number of Eastern European players that traditionally have the harder names, um, those, I, I would say to on this day, there are less in the league than there were then. Um, again, I, I don't, I don't know if I have, I don't have data on that, but that's just what I feel like going through. Like when I look at every night's roster, I, there are there are far less Eastern European players' names on a roster than there was back in say 2003 and four and five, and those are the ones that are really difficult. The game I think has gone more global, more players from a lot a wider variety of countries. Um, but I think you know in many cases some of those names are probably in, in some cases easier to pr- to pronounce. But but look nowadays by watching your telecast by watching you know anybody espn by watching nba tv like we we can we are hearing these names even of of these players Giannis adenagumbo is the one that you know obviously was the the one that scared everybody out of their minds but we now get to hear that so many times a day because of what we're consuming on our phones on our televisions so it really makes i mean it's probably made my job easier the other part is like with you know uh, public relations, game relations staff and the other teams. I mean, I'll, I'll say the Toronto Raptors is the one that stands out to me the best, is every single game that Toronto that Toronto comes to town, their uh, media relations, you know, public relations guy will walk over and literally he has this cool little sheet that he's created. He asked me very politely, very Canadian, in a very Canadian way. I don't even know what that means, but it just feels <laughs> like it's a very polite Canadian way to ask me do I need to go over any of the names? Am I feeling good about anything? Pascal Siakam, do I need to work that through? Uh, anyone else that that causes you any any uh, heartache uh, as the announcer? And I'm like, no, sir, I've got it. Thank you so much. But like teams do that and they have those people available. So if you're making mistake after mistake after mistake, bro, like what's, come on, there's no reason for it.
1: <laughs> now, what's the most, this is just a random We're We're off on a tangent here, but what is the most difficult name you've? I mean, Giannis clearly is is extremely difficult. But was it like uh, Nikola Svedisfili or no, that, Jake Sakalitis? You know, oh, like
2: Jake Sakalitis, very good.
1: Yeah. Uh, who is um, the most difficult?
2: Yeah, there was a player that he was a Lithuanian player. Um, I believe he spent probably the majority of his time on uh, I think it was the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'd love to like, I I don't know if I'm fancy enough to like pull it up on my phone and look, but it was, his first name was Martinez, even though it didn't look like that because it had a Y in there. So it was like M-A-R-T-Y-N-I-S or A-S, right? So Martinez, but the last name was Andrew Scavishis. And it was when you would see that thing either on his uniform or on my little piece of paper in front of me, it would liber- – I'm not so sure I didn't have a panic attack, like an announcer-grade panic attack when I was ready to say, say that name. I'm, I need to look it up because, one, I need to make sure he's Lithuanian. But second – oh, my gosh. There it is. Can I spell it for you? Like do you want me to spell yes, that thing? Yes, Let's hear it. A – A, and, it, and it's got little – some of the markings that I'm not as familiar with over the tops of letters yes. that I'm just going to roll right by. But it is A N. D R I U S K E V I C I U S, Andrew Scavishus.
1: Oh my gosh!
2: Right, <laughs> right, James. Hamm. Like this would co- I, I, and I was early. This was early in the league. Let's see. Let's figure out when he played in the league. I mean, it, he was drafted in the second round, forty fourth pick in two thousand five. So I was I was a third fourth year uh, announcer in the league, still getting my legs underneath me not good by any means and this guy comes along and tr- and tr- does me dirty with that
1: last name that's that's absolutely brutal i, I don't know what to you know the one good <laughs> thing about him is he never scored he never grabbed a rebound never scored. He, nobody he... would
2: foul. Nobody <laughs> foul that was the problem he would foul maybe he'd go to the line and miss like oh gosh i know terrible.
1: We, we've got six fouls let's hope he doesn't use them all uh that, that's awesome i mean
2: seven he's seven two i mean the guy's gotta be he had to be somewhat useful
1: is somewhere. he is he lithuanian he
2: is lithuanian yeah i was right about that okay uh lithuanian basketball player uh he's 34 years old now uh born in uh, in march of 1986 played center again second round pick uh second round uh pick number 44 in the uh in the nba draft how about
1: that all right look at that well he made the league and what he back up so ilgaskis which is another good one. Uh,
2: he must, yeah, must, I know, right? He must, yeah. He was actually selected by the Orlando Magic okay. uh, in in two thousand five. So how about
1: how about that? All right, all right. So, Dude, still
2: playing though. Still playing. Still playing overseas.
1: Oh, well, I guess you know what. You can't teach seven foot. Uh, there's always going to be not. there's always going to be a place somewhere for you to uh, put stars on top of uh, Christmas trees, change light bulbs. There's always going to be a spot for you somewhere. Um, when you a gutter, to...
2: rain, 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 gutter, absolutely,
1: yeah. All right, so let's get to some of the uh, the real meat of the conversation. Um, I, you and I were both there, uh, the final, what ended up not being a game. Um, just the strangest evening I think I've ever been through. Uh, and we've had a couple of really, really weird ones, uh, in Sacramento, um, but what was just kind of take me through that night uh when the kings were supposed to take on the pelicans uh, we see um, at like i think it's 6:31 um we get the email that the league is suspended play after that night uh shortly thereafter we see the Rudy Gobert is tested positive uh, for covid uh, covid-19 uh coronavirus um, take me through that night scott because i watched i watched you uh, as, like, they, they, you know, the Pelicans don't come out, and then, of course, Alvin Gentry does come out, eventually comes over says something to you guys. Um, just what was that evening like for you?
2: Yeah, it, I mean, a couple things. Um, it, it was a little bit surreal just to, um, originally because, again, it was a nationally televised game, our only one. So everything already was thrown off a little bit. Our timing was thrown off. Mm-hmm. the time people are arriving. everything was a little off kilter anyway. so it gave this sense of like this um it didn't feel the same, right so nothing quite quite felt the same. I also felt like just coming into the arena um at the time I did there was this There was this vibe that I know everybody was starting to get the- the concerns were growing nationally, internationally, but of course in in our country. And I think everybody was feeling a little bit anxious and unsure. And um, I I think that was, that was, that was mounting, you know, the days before and certainly that game and, and, you know, the decision whether or not to play, what do we do? And, and no no one really having an answer. Um, I think it it felt like I felt some of that anxiety, stress, tension, whatever you want to call it um, right from the moment I, I walked in. It just didn't feel as normal and natural as it usually does, especially for a nationally broadcast game where it's our only one, you roll out all the, all the fun stops, everything's going to be super great. We're putting on a show, Zion and De'Aaron and um, you know, everybody doing their thing. So I I don't know. It felt weird from the start for me, for me. And then of course, to get down there as we're getting closer and creeping up towards game time to not have um, the Pelicans come out at a, at a time when, they are supposed to be out. And then that obviously kept the clock kept getting closer and closer to zero. The, what we call the blow off clock. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, clearly there were, there were things happening because it was national, the national broadcast game. um, The, the representative um, from what's called the TOC, the timeout coordinator. He sits actually right next to me, um, right on my right in the, in the chair immediately to my right. And then our game director, Maurice Brazelton sits on, the left. And for, I would say probably um, I would say at about 30 minutes on the rundown clock is when you could tell they were having discussions that, you know, clearly I wasn't in, but you, they were, they were certainly managing things well and trying to communicate to everybody and anybody that needed to, to get word about kind of what the status was, what was happening. Um, so they did a, a an impressive job all the way from King's brass to, you know, and the communications people to Mo. Um, Mo Brazelton to, to the timeout coordinator for ESPN. I mean, they were all working very closely in accord. you know, du- dual phones up to ears kind of thing. Like it felt, um, it was a little surreal and being kind of right in the middle of that. And then obviously as we got closer and closer and realized that New Orleans wasn't going to come out. I mean, that was pretty much obvious. I felt like to, to me as just a fan and a viewer, I, I kind of sensed that that was the case um, to hear then that, that one of the referees was, uh, somewhere a couple of nights before and that kind of playing into the to the line as well. Thank goodness Courtney Kirkland tested negative and didn't have didn't have um COVID. I mean that, you know, all those things playing into the to the to, into real time. Um, you know, it just get, it was, it it just felt icky and it felt that's why I ultimately think I'm so glad. I mean in retrospect, I'm so glad the decisions was made all the way from the NBA to the ESPN to the Kings to the to New Orleans. That, that that was the right thing to do. I mean, it, it clearly was, it was a hard decision. There's a lot of fans that got, you know, we're going to be upset. I mean, when I made the announcement, which was yes, slightly surreal by saying it was postponed. I, I have, a, I took a video of that moment. I don't know why I did that, but did. Um, and like how I was, I even was very awkward in my own, like watching myself. I mean, I'm awkward, awkward anyway, like yelling <laughs> and screaming on a nightly basis, but, but yeah, I just, I knew It wasn't, it wasn't a normal thing that I was saying, you know, due to the abundance of precaution, um, you know we're going to postpone this game. And immediately, you heard it too—the uh, the chorus of boos. And I think those were for—I'll uh, take—I'll take forty take percent of them because I, people just like booing me, is what I, I feel like they should. If they don't, they should. So you, forty percent of those boos was just directed straight at me, and I'll take that. The remaining was just the unknown. People not knowing, like, what does this mean? Are we going to postpone later tonight? Postpone tomorrow? Postpone in a month? Like. What is it? And that's, you know, that's one of the challenges, I think, with this whole pandem- de- pandemic and the situation we're in is there's so much unknown. None of us know. And we are a country, especially in sports, that thrives on knowing where we're going, having our goals, having, you know, these very clear plans of where we're headed. And we have none of it right now. And it's very, it, it just feels it's challenging, to, to say the least, to, to, to work in that kind of space. And, um, and so the unknown there that night announcing all that, um, obviously leaving fans a little bit heartbroken that we weren't able to get a game in the little girl. I think you guys on your broadcast caught mm-hmm. the little girl crying, uh, which was, I mean, uh, the good thing is that these stories once we're back, I mean, that little girl, if she's not my guest to a game, she's going to be slamsons or De'Aaron Fox or someone's guest to a game to make all these things. Right. I know there were birthday parties that night. There were sweets that were bought out for, you know, celebratory purposes, all of which didn't happen, but ultimately it was the right decision and uh, a tough one, but, but the right one. And definitely probably one of the most surreal moments I've had in my entire, uh,
1: announcing career, I would say. Yeah. It was weird watching people, uh, first of all, they booed and like, they weren't booing you. I know that, but, um, uh, <laughs> they were, they were booing the announcement, um, and to watch that unfold. Um, but then, when we look back in retrospect um, we're now seeing that uh, I don't know if you've read up on there's an entire community in Italy uh, where yeah, I, like, read it. I think 2500 people traveled to Milan um, for a huge soccer game it was the biggest soccer game in their their yeah. city's you know entire you know history so they traveled so heavy and now that is the reason why there is a huge outbreak in their community. And I mean, uh, the numbers from Italy are absolutely startling, startling. I mean, they're losing, their death their death rate is 10%. Um, it's just absolutely shocking what's happening in Italy. And I mean, I was there last summer. Um, I did a podcast with Riccardo Pertizzi last, last week. He was under, you know, basically lockdown in, in Tuscany. Um, he used to cover, well, he, he still does. He covers the NBA, but he lived in Sacramento for two seasons while Marco Bellinelli was there. And then when Bellinelli left, he stuck around because the Warriors were so good and it gave you a good spot to drive back and forth between the two. Um, But it's surreal to see this and to be part of that moment. I mean, I know people didn't get up and then they, they, they came back to you and they asked you, hey, can you make another announcement to clear the building? And you're just looking at it like, it was a surreal moment. Everything was wild and like slightly out of control. It reminded me a little bit of the protest nights that we had, um, two seasons mm-hmm. earlier, yeah. where just the whole night felt off and, and like, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, did you feel that?
2: I did. That's a great call. I ha- I actually hadn't, haven't thought about that since, uh, uh, since then. And since right now, when you said it, it definitely that kind of that ominous feel eerie and, and different, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, that's the thing. We've come, like sports has done this to us. We know, you know, that the, the ball goes up at 7.06.30, right? So that's exactly the time, I think, but that, thanks to you and your, uh, and your friends at, uh, at NBC Sports Universal. That's the time the ball goes up. We know that every single night we can count on it. It is consistent. We know what happens leading up to 10 minutes leading up to it, the eight minutes leading up to that. I mean, we are, we are programmed to know our sports, know the timing of them, and count on them. Uh, to be consistent. And right now, nothing is consistent. I mean, it started then that all the way back to that, to, to that situation with the protest, it 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 slapped the consistency right out of the room, right? So we, we mm-hmm. didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen next. We didn't know if the doors were open or closed or people staying or coming or going and what exits, I mean, you know, it, those are just scary moments. Luckily, that's where you really, re- you know, rely on people in those leadership positions and people who, have done some of this, you know, before, and 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 luckily we we got through that. We got through the the postponement there, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, and hopefully, you know, soon we'll be talking about we'll be talking about it in the past. People will uh, be recovering, and and hospital systems will uh, will will be able to help people in, in in ways that we're used to seeing, and and we're going to get back to to basketball in real life, and and I know people are struggling right now with jobs and and the unknown and uncertainty and my heart goes out to them i know that we you know my day job with the republic we're we're busy helping some some people especially the food insecure elderly people who are homebound and at risk Um, we're doing some work there with some of our partners i know the kings have done some great things with food access and helping uh people get get meals that that can't go out of the house and and can't or can't afford it right now so there's a lot to do with a community. It always astounds me that when times get tough, you know, people rally, communities rally. Um, we as a nation will rally and, and we'll get past it.
1: Yeah, it, it really does feel like we're another one of those moments where you need everyone to pull together and uh, sort of, you know, look at the, the big picture. And, and I, it's crazy that the big picture means for most of us to stay inside, to you right. know, wash your hands a million times a day, but stay inside. Don't go visit your neighbors. Don't go... Uh, Don't go to the, you know, the hardware store if you can avoid it or the, the grocery store, you know, just be smart and stay inside. You are listening to the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. It's time to pay the bills. Let's hear a couple of words from our sponsors, BMW, Big O Tires. We'll be right back. No matter who
0: you are. No matter where you're going, no matter what's next, there's an X to take you there. These are BMW X5, XDrive 40i for $7.19 a month. Big O' Tires is open and here to serve you. In accordance with the shelter-in-place mandate, Big O' Tires is considered an essential business, and most locations remain open. Call your local Big O' Tires store for store hours and information. Big O' Tires, the team you trust.
1: Let's get back to Scott Moak, the Sacramento Kings PA announcer here on the Purple Talk podcast. Uh, Now, Scott, I'm going to ask you, because, you know, when you're there, uh, I I know you you jokingly said that, you know, people have to hear your voice. Um, (laughs) What would it be like for you to do your job with no fans? Have you thought of that? What it would be like for you to... Because part of your job is to light the crowd up, is to get them involved, is to, you know, scream to the people uh, about what's happening. But what if there wasn't anyone there, and we have to go forward with the NBA at least part of this season with no fans in the building?
2: Yeah, I mean, I did Scott Freshour and I had a had a conversation as this was all happening. Who's obviously the fantastic all-star multi-time all-star uh, MC and floor general out there when on the mic on, on game nights, he and I had that conversation about what that would be like. <clears throat> I, you know, look, I've announced a lot of basketball. Um, you know, I started with the Kings back in, in 2002 um, in some of the heyday, the glory years, as you remember the gold or golden years or whatever we call them. Um, and, but before that, you know, I was announcing, you know, American River College uh, women's basketball at in in Beaver Stadium or whatever they called it there at American River College with you know twelve parents, a couple trainers, and <laughs> the teams. So like I think I can I'll ch- I'll just channel kind of that uh, those experiences um, you know why they why you know it's interesting that they they would think that a the PA announcer would be a vital I I, I guess I can see it. I could make a case probably both ways. That if they do a fanless game, um, I guess making sure players and everybody is aware of fouls and things. I don't. know. It's just it's super weird to think. And I don't think I would go full bore. And now let's meet the starting five. I really I actually think they probably go <laughs> straight into tip. Uh, to be honest, I don't think they do a lot of the fanfare that we get to do on game nights because it obviously is entertainment. Thank goodness for David Stern who wanted that to to be put in place decades ago. And, and sure enough, that's where we are today. Uh, may he rest in peace. But, um, but, you know, I so yeah, I would just, I'd probably turn into a little bit more of a narrator slash informer meets public n- NPR, you're right? I think I'd have to go more of my NPR voice than my, uh, than my announcer voice.
1: Yeah, I just can't imagine, I mean, Doug and, and Grant sitting courtside and, you know, you're trying to tell, paint the picture of, this, of what's happening um but the players can hear you they can hear everything that you're saying uh, right that's I, right I just don't know what that would be like I mean I'd almost want to be like hey put me up higher so I, I don't have to be like part of the, their conversation so I, I mean it's something that I, I think people just haven't really thought about uh when it comes to uh you know the way that this the reality that we may have to go back to. Uh, now, look, right. let's not talk about all negative stuff. Um, let's let's talk about one of the... You've been doing this for a long time. So is it 18 seasons? Is that what we're at?
2: Uh, is that right? I'm, a, I'm not... You're the math guy. I started in 02. So 2002 was my... Uh, so the 2002-2003 season was my first one. And, um, and you took over for... And, uh, Ira, his name was Ira Smith. So he did it, uh, for two years. And we had, they had a they had an open tryout, uh, for the job in 2000, um, a uh-huh. hundred and some odd 30 people tried out. Um, I was one of the four finalists for the, for the gig. Um, and I didn't get it. Um, they called me and told me, uh, you did great, but not, not, we're not, we're going, we're going a different direction. Uh, they chose Ira who was a, he was an older gentleman, very, very sweet kind guy uh, had that, had a beautiful baritone own voice that I do not have. Right. I, I yell a lot more and, uh, just have a totally different style. And, um, and they, he stayed on for, for two seasons. He was a radio guy out of Napa, actually. He worked on a radio station in Napa and, um, and he, he was there for, for a couple of years. They decided they kind of wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction, uh, starting in the, uh, the O two 2 year. And so I got the, I got the nod and, um, and man, super, uh, super thrilled, super thankful that uh, I, I was asked to do it then, and that I'm asked back every year to uh, ever, every year since to do it to do it now.
1: Yeah, and you know, for people who don't know, it was after f- the first 15 years that the Kings were in Sacramento. Uh, the late great Fred Anderson was the voice of the Sacramento Kings as a PA announcer. You bet. Um, <laughs> Scott and I have had this discussion before, but I grew up with Fred. Uh, as one of the deacons in my church and i graduated right. with his daughter uh, from high school we were good friends uh i actually went to a king's game with her while her dad was calling games i remember the first time i went to a game with my dad uh the first thing we did was we walked all the way down and we said hello to fred uh who sat courtside and you know we knew him from church and so uh, yeah he had done the games for for a long long time and then Had health problems and passed away. And so uh, it's a, how do you, how do you put that? Are, Are you a steward of that? Is that one of those jobs where like, you know, this is something that you want to do as long as you can, that, you know, it's something that you hopefully will do until you can't do it anymore. But you're kind of like, it's a position that you hold that's, that's near and dear to everyone that, you know, the next person who does it you know, whether that's 25 years from now, or whenever it is, uh, they're taking they're you're handing over a torch of, of sort, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I felt that way with Fred, I, and part of it is because I didn't have quite that connection that you did. I love that. And I love that it that speaks to this region. And, you know, to kind of Sacramento as a whole, you know, that everybody's connected to everybody somehow. And I love you know, your connection with that family, that sweet family that, um, you know, I remember, you know, I remember Fred mainly because he was the radio guy also for, he would do Nevada union football. And when I was in high school, uh, Nevada union was obviously very good. They're one of the top teams in the region. I think they've continued to be great over the, many years
1: since they then, haven't and, been good for about uh, ten uh, years but that's it for the last like eight ten years s- well maybe maybe eight years but you know I did go to Nevada wow. Union <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very good <laughs> so it was after you left that they got bad so uh, yeah, yeah actually after favorite.
1: I left they got really good uh yeah and, and he's <laughs> it the the announcing booth up there is called the Freddie Anderson uh, right um, yeah announcing booth whatever it is but yeah 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 but yeah, go ahead no, sorry
2: so I I knew him. I knew, I knew of him from, from there. And then look, I was going to games as a 12 year old uh, with my dad at Arco one. So, you know, I was, I grew up, there were two announcers in my, in my life that I was aware of, you know, that, and, and heard. One was Fred Anderson going to as many Kings games as my dad would take us to. I think we'd probably go to five, eight, maybe 10 a year. Uh, He'd get tickets from people or, be a special occasion that we get to go. I can remember going to games as a a little kid all the way up through, you know, through high school and beyond. So that was a voice that just was ingrained in my brain, Fred's. And the way he called threes, the way he said, Jason Williams, the way he called Corliss Williamson. I mean, I have those, um, the rock, you know, things that he would say, little catchphrases. He would say like, I have all that ingrained in my brain. The other is, you know, my dad was an athletic director at Kennedy high school where I went to school and where I grew up, I grew up and, you know, on the gym and on the baseball field and on the football field as a, as a little tiny kid. And uh, the name of the announcer for Kennedy basketball, which was quite good. I mean, John F. Kennedy high school basketball here, you know, at that time back then mm-hmm. was as good as a guy. I mean, it was Jesuit and Kennedy every year in the, in the kind of CIF um, finals. So um, the, the name of the announcer was Hassan Hanks. He was a, uh, middle school teacher at Sutter Middle School here in Sacramento. And he was awesome. I, he, the one thing I ne- I'll never forget, he would introduce, he would start the game, you know, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to John F. Kennedy High School. This is the golden voice he would call himself. And like, I remember thinking, like, <laughs> that is the dopest thing ever. <laughs> like, the fact that he glossed himself, that his own nickname, and like said it in a packed gym of high school students, is legit, and so I love. I just the way he would announce. I actually, and he knows this or knew this. I've given him props many, many times over the way that I announce, particularly fouls and um, free throw cadence and stuff like that. It's exactly like Fred did. Exact or, Sorry, exactly like Hassan did. Fred, I stole some stuff from him too. His legacy around calling threes, how he did it. Um, I definitely took some of what, what he did. Because, again, it's just in my brain. It's just what we what I grew up with. And so those two guys, between Fred and and Hassan, uh, back to your carry the torch metaphor, 100%. However long I'm able to keep doing this job, I, I'm, I'll, I'll feel honored. But, like, absolutely being able to carry it to the next person and pass it on, you, you betcha.
1: Yeah, I think you touched right there. It's while you may not know it or you may not think of it, um, there's someone in the stands who's watching you and seeing how you do it, and those the way that you say things are getting put into their head. Their their thought process, the way they talk about a game, will be through the way that they've seen it through your eyes. So it's it's really. Interesting. I mean, I grew up an A's fan. Um, and the incredible Roy Steele, Roy Steele, uh, just Oof. absolutely, you know, now budding, you know, the way uh-huh. is just baritone voice, now batting. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so and and he did it for years and years and years. Uh, I he had to give it up, I think, about five or six years ago now. Um, That's right. That's yeah. Right. Um, and uh, last time I checked, he was in his 90s. I'm not sure. I- I'm pretty sure he's still around. Uh, I think I would have heard if he wasn't but it's amazing how those your ability to paint a picture for somebody adds to what's happening so uh, yeah I, I mean it, it's pretty amazing that that you get to be in that position to uh, again s- story tell a little bit throughout the game um, it, there's a moment that uh, it, it's kind of been brought back well hasn't been brought back full frame uh, out in the public but you had a moment with Kevin Durant and
2: <laughs> yes
1: yeah you had a mo- and you know what I the reason why I'm bringing it back is because of course Kevin uh, tested positive for uh, for corona and like everything we've heard is he's okay but um, you called he he got cut he, he started bleeding and you said there's a it was an infectious disease timeout right
2: yes so the way yes the way that the NBA, manual handbook you know has has listed that kind of timeout because you want to one thing like here now we're going to get a little technical and geeky but I, no, i'm okay. assuming at least you or one other person might dig this but you know there are things that we need to how i say a certain you know how i say something is very important because it could give uh a, a, it could confuse people as to what's actually really happening so one of those examples is if I say an official's timeout, that actually means something different. You know, if, a, if an official blows his whistle because mm-hmm. he wants just a stoppage, there's a leak, there's water on the floor, there's sweat on the floor, someone spilled a beer in the corner, something like that. Like calling that an official's timeout can actually compute because that's actually, a, you know, a term, a term we use as a, as a real uh, timeout that isn't one of the teams. Yes. We could take a TV timeout that that's basically derived from the officials timeout. So saying officials timeout, they've never really wanted us to do that because again, it can confuse people. So the way that anytime you had a blood stoppage stoppage for, you know, someone was bleeding, got scratched, or there was blood, you know, present on whether it's on the uniform, on the skin, on the floor, they would, it was called literally categorized as an infectious control timeout. So I, for, I don't know, I mean, 10 years would announce that the exact, that exact way timeout for infectious control. Um, And Dan would play our brilliant uh, audio engineer would play the keep bleeding by Leona Lewis or can't stop the, you know, he would have all these fun songs that Mm -hmm. he would play that would like, you know, kind of correspond with that moment. Well, we did that. I said that. And yeah, I looked over um, and I saw Kevin Durant, give me the side eye, like, and then walked over and asked me, you know, what, what'd you say? And I told him and I said, why, you know, something like, why you, you, you don't, you don't like that. And he was like, no, I don't like it. And I'm all, well, I don't, I don't control those things. I don't, I don't get to choose what <laughs> I say it around that. And, and he kind of laughed at that and he walked back on the floor, ironically. And I think you probably remember this. Uh, it wasn't, but a couple plays, sequences later, De'Aaron gets popped in the side of the face. He has blood on his, like, coming either from him or someone else, on his face. Same exact thing happens, and I said the same exact thing. Kevin Durant was on the bench at the time. They had taken him out. He stands up, and he gives me the point. Like, yeah, buddy, all right, I see you. You do it both ways. He thought, he thought I was, like, ribbing him or something, and I, of course, wasn't. But, yes, then it goes to where he says, you know, me and that guy have a great relationship, which I got a lot of great comments about. I didn't realize I had a great relationship with Kevin Durant, but look, I will take it. I will take a great relationship with Kevin Durant and I hope he's doing better today and uh, hope he's getting better, obviously from a playability perspective, but yeah, that now, now looking back, the infectious control announcement, I'm sure I can bet. Maybe you and I, we already have a lunch bet on the table. We'll put another one on there that this, uh, that some of the terminology around infectious control will change
1: that you know what i think it it was just a moment though and i've had conversations with kevin durant on my just me and him uh, which is rare to have you know conversations with stars like that i'd asked a question during the um the oklahoma city collapse in the western conference finals and i asked something of him and russell westbrook in a nba press conference and they did not like it, especially Russell Westbrook did not like it. And he stared me down walking out of the room wearing like his Dare Leak outfit um, from Zoolander. Uh, <laughs> so I walked outside and Durant was standing there and I had asked him, you know, if maybe him and uh, Russ had really forgotten to to move the ball because they'd had, I think, three games in a row where the two of them had combined for 59 shots which to me that's staggering 59 yeah. shots I mean in, in games like playoff games you're talking maybe 82 83 shots in a game um so I had asked him if you know maybe that was part of the issue and Russell did not like that at all uh but I Durant was standing there and I walked over and said hey that wasn't like a got gotcha you question I was just asking literally for my own you know question did you know is yeah. there a way yeah. And he, you know, he was very, very nice. He said, no, no, we're cool. We're cool. I just, it's one of those things that when I came in to the, when I got here the first day, it was a, I need you to shoot 30 times a game, no matter what, every game, they want me to shoot 30 times a game. And, you know, I rarely get to 30 shots in a game, but that's what they want. So I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do.
2: What they want. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it was at that moment that I kind of realized that he didn't want to be there anymore. And that he probably wasn't going to be back with that team just by the way that he said, you know, what he had said about that's not what I want, but that's what they want. And it puts a lot of pressure on somebody. So I think coming to a team like the Warriors, like he did, where you're still a number one option, but you're a number one option with a team with two number one options and a really high level number two option and a really decent number three option, you know, so all of a sudden you've got all of these players around you that can support you. Uh, but really an interesting dude. So I'm glad you had that moment with him. Uh, and, and that leads me to really my last question. Like, what's your, what's your favorite moment? You've done this a long time, or maybe a handful of favorite moments uh, that just stand out to you that you go, you know what, if NBC Sports uh, California can get the game footage from this game, I would love to have that there. Ooh,
2: wow! So, and I appreciate one. I'll, I'll say just as a fan of of yours and your and your network, uh, what you guys are doing right now with everybody at home and putting all those games on the air is spectacular. I think you know people are longing for sports. They need they need the outlet. They need the distraction. And uh, so, you guys doing that is fabulous. i I think you've got a couple of good ones, especially kind of you know some of those recent mm-hmm. um, ones that we broke the heart of many of many teams. Uh, with some of those comebacks, those bogey, uh, buzzer beaters, uh, I obviously going to be exciting to watch over the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, I would, I'd be lying if I didn't say that it wasn't the, uh, the Vivek, uh, this is your team first game back after the sale in old sleep train, um, Uh, you know, uh, the, the new, it was the start of the new history of the Sacramento Kings, right. It was our, Mm -hmm. the first kind of day, first game of our new path. Um, Being, being there for that and experiencing that from where I sit and just all the emotion and energy and pent up, you know, all those just years of feeling so uncertain and um, anxious about, is the team coming and going and, uh, are they going to sell? Are they not? Like, I mean, just all of that was put to rest in one moment and getting to celebrate that with all these people, all these Kings fans who have stayed with it, stayed with this team for all these years. Um, that was awesome. I mean, that was for sure uh, my number one, my number one game. And, and probably I I think will always be uh, because of just what was behind it. You know, I also, I, I say this, like, this is, I I can't wait for us to get back to the playoffs just because there are now fewer and fewer and fewer people that actually remember us being in the playoffs.
1: Oh yeah. You know,
2: just not a lot of, I mean, you know, there are kids, uh, young people that were, you know, in their, in elementary school that never got to have yet to see a playoff game and experience that. And I know you did. And many of us who were fortunate enough to be in the building for whether, whether it was some of those, you know, either the Utah Jazz series, the Lakers series before I even started, but then obviously Seattle and Dallas and some of those, San Antonio, some of those series that, that we uh, took part in, in the early 2000, when I had first started, there is just a different vibe in those games. And I do appreciate when people can call it out, especially now with Twitter, you can kind of see how people are feeling, you know, when, when a game, particularly, you know, it's a really high intensity game, whether it's a Lakers game, a Warriors game or something like that. And people will say, you know, this feels, this feels like that playoff atmosphere. This has a playoff feel to it. Like they're not wrong. They're not wrong, but they're also not right because it it is so much more than that. It's like a little taste test of what it actually is. And I so badly want people to get back to that. So I, I certainly remember those games, those home games when, you know, in the early two thousands, when we were playing Dallas at home, and that place was electric, electric you couldn't i mean i would james i would be announcing names like chris weber basket i couldn't hear myself say the words it was so loud in there i mean just you couldn't hear a whistle no one knew when fouls were being called i mean it, it was unlike anything that i think you know that many many kings fans even remember and i just so badly want to get back to that so i would be all for showing any and all home playoff games in the history of the Sacramento Kings. That'd be sure.
1: You know, it's funny. uh, You want to watch them. I I don't think that there is a way like for you, you can recapture the moment. But for someone who did not have the opportunity to be in the building, it's so different. I I was lucky enough to be there during the Seattle series. Uh, I was lucky enough to be there in the early 2000s and the late 90s and and caught many many playoff games this is the only way that i can describe it when you walk in the building it's alive and the only other place i've ever felt that is new york city new york city has a Mm -hmm. buzz where when you walk the streets it all feels alive it feels like the city has a a pulse and it's living when you walked in for those playoff games and look i in all honesty, people, I- I've been to a lot of playoff games at this point because I've I've transitioned after the King season to covering Warriors. I've been at, uh, you know, I- I've been in a locker room when they actually won. I've actually been in two locker rooms, two years in a row, when the Cavs won uh, in Oakland, and then when the Cavs uh, when the Warriors beat the Cavs, uh, I was in a locker room following the win. In both of those situations you know celebrating with i wasn't celebrating but you know jamie fox and usher mm-hmm. sitting there like spraying everyone with champagne i mean i've been in those locker rooms i've been in oracle i was in toronto all last year for the finals um i will tell you without any doubt there is nowhere that was like arco and the fans during those times when if if the Sacramento Kings finally make it when they finally make it uh, I hope that that can be replicated it may have been something special about Arco and the way it was constructed uh, but I still think the fan base here is so good um, that it just I, I don't know how else to describe it Scott. like you walk in and instantly the hair on your neck the hair on your arms on your legs it stands up it it, you feel like you're it's static electricity there's something in the air and it's just wild so i i hope they get to see what we felt because you you won't get to feel it through the tv watching a replay but you understand what i'm saying right
2: one i i understand i felt it and you're totally right there's no way uh there's no way to really relive it um through the tv is close but um that it's just why it's so important. We get back there eventually. And I know we will, I know we, I know we will, we'll be there soon. And, um, and uh, I hope everybody gets to experience it the way you and I did, because those are just those memories, those sports memories that, you know, they just don't die. They'll, they'll always be with us and are so special. So and I feel fortunate to have been part of those.
1: Yeah. And you want your kids to feel it. You know, my, my oldest son uh, was born on May 8th, 2003. Uh, that was a day that Chris Weber took a bad step and blew out his knee. Um, he, he's never, I mean, as an infant, he got to see playoff basketball. Um, you know, he's got to live vicariously through me going to NBA finals and going to all these other games, but, uh, he's never got to experience it. And it's something that like, as a fan, you want to be able to experience. I mean, I, I was in the stands when Derek Jeter made the play on Jeremy Giambi at at home, um, you know, in Oakland. And, you know, those are moments where you never forget, like it, it's something special, something different, uh, a shared experience. So I, I hope we get back to that soon, Scott, because uh, not just playoffs, but get back to basketball, get back to the, you know, 17,616, whatever it is at the new building, you know, all cheering for one thing. And and it's just a lot of fun. And I hope we get, get back to it as soon as possible.
2: Amen to that, brother.
1: All right. Well, Scott, I've i mean, going back to this. I used to do this all the time. So, uh, but because of the times we're in, I'm just going to give you the, do you have any final thoughts? Do you, is there anything else you'd like to tell fans uh, that are listening to the podcast?
2: I mean, you know, in these times, it's obviously this is a little strange that we're all having to do our part, but like everybody is saying, like, and thank goodness for people like you, your network, like I said, giving, some people, some distractions, like hopefully, you know, sitting in or going on a run, you know, while, while, uh, while social distancing or physical distancing, I'm trying to call it now, because we all need social, we can't socially distance ourselves. We need to physically distance ourselves. I heard that and I liked it. So, um, you know, giving people the chance to listen to this stuff, to go back down memory lane, to watch sports, to be connected to others in the sporting universe. Like that's what's make us smile, take us back to a good spot. So, um thank very thankful for for you your network what you're doing i appreciate how you do your job i appreciate our friendship i also am very very much looking forward to our lunch date uh that you owe me uh for a for a bet that we will take up on our next podcast
1: that's right a bet we will take up i do i i owe lunch people i owe lunch it was a good bet though and i was ahead for was. quite a while i was ahead for quite a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Six minutes, into, six minutes into the first quarter, you are ahead. <laughs> that's right, that's
1: right. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Purple Talk Podcast on NBC Sports California. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back very soon uh, with another podcast. I'm already lining up my guests for next week. Uh, we got to feed the beast here. I know you guys need content. Uh, I know you need something while you're on your treadmill, uh, not in your cars anymore, so that's a little different. Um, but thanks for tuning in. So for Scott Moak, the legendary PA announcer of the Sacramento Kings, I am James Ham. Thanks for tuning in to the Purple Talk Podcast.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do.